Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we'll be comparing notes on the TV program Taskmaster and the video game Until Dawn. Warning, spoilers ahead. Oh man, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. We're out of practice. Yeah, we're um, rusty. We took three weeks <laughs> off. Yeah, it's been a minute uh, because I was traveling. So for two weekends in a row, basically, I was out of town. I was actually um, out in your area for a little mm-hmm. bit. So that was really I saw nice. You. We saw each other. Yeah, we did a little nice brunch at a mm-hmm. fancy place. That was really good. And then I got to see your new apartment that you were moving into, so that was really exciting. Mm-hmm. And then I took you to Catfish Cove. Catfish Cove. It was very relaxing. Oh, that's the beauty of Catfish Cove. Uh-huh. It's so peaceful. It's like the only peaceful place you can find in the city. Yes. And yeah. you got a nice little pond and the water reflecting on the leaves uh-huh. and the catfish swimming around and yeah, uh, what a what a nice place. And it was really nice weather when we were out, too, so. Mm -hmm. Did you have a good trip overall? It was so good. Got caught up on a lot of things that had been on the back burner while I was trying to get my feet under me with other projects, Mm -hmm. so working remotely on those was really nice. Um, So it was, like, a lot of mindless tasks, just, like, organizing things, analyzing some things, and so I started Stranger Things from season one and just like binge watched that the whole week Mm -hmm. um and just finished up the new season this week so we'll have an update episode about that at some point but I really liked it that's awesome you went all the way through I didn't know you started back at the beginning yeah I figured it would be fun while I was like doing a lot of mindless tasks to just start back with the feel-good seasons so for sure yeah that was really enjoyable season one is just a gem i love that so yeah yeah it was a nice little trip and you had an eventful time you just moved yeah we moved apartments and we're in a a much better apartment now uh hopefully the acoustics aren't terrible if they sound bad on this episode i mean we're gonna still settle in some more and so we'll we can always work on the the sound as we settle in but yeah it was time consuming and stressful moving's always stressful mm-hmm. but i'm super super glad we moved out of like that really shitty apartment we were in and i really like our new place a lot so yeah it was a big improvement mm-hmm Yeah. I mean, I remember when you moved into that first apartment and you didn't have a working fridge for like a month. Oh my god. And that was just like the first thing of many things that went wrong over the nine months that we lived there. (laughs) Yeah. Gotta get out of that. Yeah. Hopefully the landlords at this one are better too. Yeah. So far the super is very responsive. He's almost too responsive. (laughs) Like, uh, he texts me too much. I'm not used to this level of engagement when I don't initiate it (laughs) from the super. That's great. Uh, (laughs) Anything else before we hop in? Well, mm, 
Wow, I should have been listening when you were talking to me before <laughs> we started recording. We are ramping up to spooky season content, but not yes. quite yet. Yeah, so I am talking about a piece of horror content today because I got a little too excited about spooky season and wanted mm-hmm. to talk about scary things already, so my spooky season is beginning today. Yeah, you're, that's very on brand for you. Oh, so yeah. that's <laughs> unsurprising and a delight. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I'll launch into my favorite piece of media for the week, which has been my outright obsession for, I want to say, the past six weeks, maybe. Mm. Um, I considered covering the show. The show I'm talking about this week is the British television series Taskmaster. Uh, This is like a pseudo-comedy game show that's been airing in the UK since 2015 and is still ongoing right now. Um, I started watching this about six weeks ago, I want to say, because the first 10 seasons are available for free on YouTube. Taskmaster has their own YouTube channel, and they put up just the the straight-up entire episodes for the first 10 seasons, as well as, you know, bonus content like outtakes and extra footage and behind-the-scenes and compilations and things of that nature. You and I both love a good comp. Yes. (laughs) But I think... Oh, yes, this is how I found it. They also put up short videos of individual tasks. So on this show, each episode has about five tasks in it, mm-hmm. and the all of those tasks are scored together, and there's a winner of the episode. But on the YouTube channel, sometimes they break out one specific task from an episode and just post, like, the seven minutes of that task. Mm-hmm. And so those individual task videos started, you know, showing up on my homepage on YouTube, and I started watching them, and I have no idea. I wish I could remember the first one I... I found, but I liked those individual ones enough that I was like, well, I've heard about this show, and I've heard people that I enjoy talk about it, and maybe it's time for me to check it out. It's Mm -hmm. on YouTube, it's free, Mm -hmm. and I, I looked around at the different casts because something that is an excellent feature of Taskmaster is that Each season features the same five contestants for all of the episodes. So Mm -hmm. you are sticking with the same five people as they are completing these different challenges over the entire season. So for the ten seasons available for us in the U.S., that's ten different casts of five people. Mm -hmm. And you also have the same two hosts that are the same throughout all of those seasons. That's interesting. So there's not like an elimination aspect to it. Nope, correct. It's just a a long-running points total determines who wins, but no one gets eliminated. I like that. That's fun. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. And because I love 
being able to build up you know not a rapport but mm-hmm. like you feel like you're you build up these attachments to these people over the course of the season mm-hmm. rather than cycling in a, a whole new group of people for every episode and not yeah. being able to form any attachments to them um I love that it's the same people for an entire season and so I wasn't sure where I wanted to start seasons-wise because you don't have to start at the beginning. Each series is completely, you know, self-contained. You don't Mm -hmm. need to have seen the previous ones to understand what's happening. You don't even need to see previous episodes within a season. Um, So I looked at a cast list. There's like a great uh, Wikipedia page for Taskmaster and it's has a table that breaks down the contestants by series. Mm -hmm. And I saw in series nine, Rose Matafeo was a contestant and I'm a big fan of hers. She's a comedian and actress. She has a really good show on HBO Max called Starstruck that I'm planning on talking about on the pod sometime. And I saw her name on series nine. I was like, okay, that's where I'll start. I'll watch series nine. And I watched it and absolutely loved it. It is the most addictive show for a person like me. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain a little bit about the format and we'll see whether this sounds appealing to you or not, Kat. Okay. Because um, to me, it's like, I don't know, I just can't stop watching it. I have a question before we move on really quick. Sure. You mentioned that um, you watched it because there was, like, a personality that you recognized, right? So she's, like, yeah, she's a celebrity. So is this kind of, like, all celebrity casts, or is it just, like, a celebrity thrown in here and there? Right. I should have said that. All the contestants are basically UK-based comedians. Okay. And sometimes, like, presenter, like, entertainment area mm-hmm. people, but yes, it's all famous people. Cool. Okay. And they're they're nearly all comedians, but mm-hmm. at least in the entertainment industry. So that's why I would describe it as more of a comedy game show, but a totally unorthodox version of a game show. Like, it's not at all like the way American game shows are, where they're mm-hmm. very structured and the format is always adhered to. And if you cycle people in and out a lot, it's mm-hmm. way more freeform than cool. that type of thing. Because I don't, I don't think I really watch any other game shows other than when I'm at my mom's house and we watch Jeopardy. That's the one exception. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is totally a completely different version of a game show, but that's kind of like the easiest way to describe it. Mm-hmm. So you have your five comedians, your five contestants. And for every episode, they do, basically, it's always five tasks. And the tasks in the show, in, like, the world of the show, you have the taskmaster. He's the main host of the show. He's played by, is, Greg Davies and or Davis. It's spelled like Davies, but they pronounce it like Davis. I don't know what it is. He's the taskmaster, he's the main host, and he is kind of acts as like a judge or an arbiter for uh, allocating points for most of the tasks. If there is any type of subjective component that requires someone's opinion, Mm. uh, rather than like straight up time 
Okay. For a time task. So he's like the titular taskmaster and he's like in charge. And then he has his assistant, the taskmaster's assistant is Alex Horn, mm-hmm. and who's also a comedian. They're both comedians. And Alex Horn is actually in reality the creator of the show Mm -hmm. and so he conceived of the show and writes it and he plans and writes all of the tasks and he's there with the contestants when they are carrying out the tasks so he's overseeing things and also kind of creating everything behind the scene Mm -hmm. but in the world of the show he's the assistant and So the two of them have a very fun dynamic where Greg is kind of like a tyrant that's overseeing everything and he sort of gives his judgment on things and then Alex Horn is sort of um, just carrying out the admin for the show. And their dynamic is really pleasing I really like them as co-hosts. I really enjoy that there's two of them, first Mm -hmm. of all. There's not a lot of American game shows with two hosts that I can think of off the top of my head. So it's really enjoyable having both of them be the the hosts of the show. I love their dynamic. They're very funny together. Mm-hmm. And I love the little rapport that they have and the roles that they mm-hmm. play with one another. It's very pleasing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so in each episode, like I said, there's basically five tasks. And the first task they do in studio live so you have the two hosts and the five contestants they're in the studio together and they do something called a prize task where each of the contestants has brought in an object to um, answer a specific prompt that was set for them and Greg judges who did the best in fulfilling that prompt and they're awarded one to five points based on how good their object was and then they move into pre-recorded tasks so Mm. the this is the best part of taskmaster to me is that prior to everyone getting together in the studio each person each contestant in isolation went to the taskmaster house and they did all of these tasks on their own without knowing what any Mm -hmm. of the other people did like they never see each other's performance while they're doing these tasks until they get to the studio shows and then they all watch like a big compilation together (laughs) so you know how you did in isolation Mm -hmm. but you have no idea how you did in the context of the entire group until everyone in the audience is seeing it so it's not it's mostly not live that's cool yeah that's interesting yeah which makes for very just wonderful opportunities for comedic editing Mm -hmm. and suspenseful editing and just (laughs) it's fascinating your seat yeah it's fascinating seeing the similarities and the dissimilarities in people's approaches to tasks yeah like sometimes you have two different people that almost did the exact same thing but they have no idea and then there's other tasks where every single person did a completely different thing and it's just 
fascinating to see the diversity in responses to any given task because Mm -hmm. for every task they're handed an envelope and the task is written out you know on paper and they just have to go based on the information that's in the task they sometimes they can ask Alex clarification questions but for the most part they just have that one prompt to go off of. What are the tasks like? Can you give me like a couple of examples? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> well, is it like put it, put together this Ikea chair without instructions? That's like um, all I'm picturing. I mean, that's not terribly far off. Oh, okay. It's, it's just hard to describe because the breadth mm-hmm. of the tasks is so wide and the complicated nature the the degree of complication is also very broad Mm. so for example in the very first episode of season one there's one task where you simply start off you walk into the room if you're the contestant and there's a watermelon on the table and you have to eat as much watermelon as possible in 10 minutes Okay. And so you watch people do that. That's an example of a very straightforward, very uh-huh. simple task. But in turn, in the same episode, you might see people go on like a multi-step, multi-location scavenger hunt where they're solving clues and finding keys and doing something that's more like an escape room. Gotcha. Or there's other tasks that are more creative Mm -hmm. and you have to like recreate a classic um video game and so there's like videos that get edited in post and it's all about like a creative effort or like write a song for this piece of music or Mm -hmm. something like that so it's a super wide wide breadth of things that people Mm -hmm. can be doing but my favorite types of tasks are like the more puzzle type ones Mm -hmm. where you you can solve the task in a number of ways and there might be one ideal way or one shortcut way to do it if you're really clever like it's very satisfying Mm -hmm. seeing people find a really clever way to Mm -hmm. do a task I love it when that happens but for every task there's people that just absolutely fail spectacularly mm-hmm. almost every time. I can think of like only a couple of tasks where everyone did it completely proficiently. Yeah. So y- you not only get a range of approaches, but you get a range of success mm-hmm. in how people approached the task. You talking about that makes me think of this documentary I watched about birds. This is a slight sidebar, but uh-huh. it's called bird brains and it's a nova documentary and basically there was this researcher who was comparing this species of parrot and how that this parrot solves problems and it basically like evolved in an environment that had no natural predators so Mm. it solves its issues very differently than a bird like a raven or a crow Mm -hmm. um And so basically they designed this box where there were four different ways to get a treat and they could like make themselves varying levels of like vulnerable in that task. 
And the crow would always, like, pick up a stick and use it to, like, knock the treat out first, um, making itself the least amount of vulnerability. And the parrot would always just, like, stick its head right into the box and, like, stick its, literally stick its neck out. And it was just so interesting to me. And it shows that, like, there's a variety of ways that animals solve problems. And I think that that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you like that, I love and that. you're interested in human behavior, yeah, I, uh, I think you you could very possibly love this show <laughs> because, oh my god, it is it's it's just fascinating to watch people do these things. Period. Mm-hmm. It's great when they're good at it. It's great when they're bad at it. But the entire time, it is very funny. It is. <laughs> One of the funniest shows I've ever seen, somehow. Like, unsurprisingly, it's hosted by two comedians. Mm -hmm. All of the contestants are comedians. It is designed to be funny. And they have editing on their side. But (laughs) I don't know how to explain it. But the chemistry between the people on the show is so good. And I kind of really love the fact that I'm watching all of these shows on YouTube because unlike if I were watching them, say, live in the UK where you can just watch it on normal television, Mm -hmm. I can go down into the comments and see (laughs) other people's reactions to things. Mm -hmm. And the, the, um, one of the comments I see the most that I agree wholeheartedly with is that Every time I finish a season and I move on to a new season, I'm always like, man, it's never going to be as good as the (laughs) season I just watched. Like, I loved those people. That group was so good. Mm -hmm. I don't know these people. Like, this isn't going to be as good. And then you watch that season and you're like, oh my god, that was the best season. (laughs) Like, every time you get attached to the people and you get excited for the chemistry Mm -hmm. and... I don't know. It's just so pleasing. And they curate the casts really well. Mm -hmm. I think they put a lot of thought into grouping that specific set of five people together Mm -hmm. in terms of their styles of comedy and in terms of their backgrounds. Like some people like went to Oxford and some people maybe didn't finish primary school or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And their styles of comedy are all different, and their levels of motivation are different, which is (laughs) another fascinating complication, because some people are very competitive and very (laughs) driven, and some people just want to hang out and make people laugh. And when those things combine, it's just delightful. Mm -hmm. And it's even more interesting when there are team tasks. So... While, like, 90% of the tasks are filmed in isolation and you're on your own, Mm -hmm. just figuring things out by yourself, in some cases, a small subset of tasks, they group the people together. So it'll be, like, a team of two versus a team of three, Mm -hmm. and you have to work together, and (laughs) those are really, really good, too. That results in some of the funniest tasks of all time. Mm -hmm. Um... So, yeah, it is just, oh, man, uh, the display of human behavior and the human mind, mm-hmm. you, it's incredible. 
I love that. I also love that it's people who do comedy for a living because those people are very good at laughing at themselves. And when you can laugh at yourself and your own performance, it makes it a lot funnier for everyone else. Yes, you're 100% correct (laughs) because uh, people, in a lot of tasks, you could argue you might be set up for failure and or embarrassment. Mm -hmm. There's been like more than one task that I've seen where people have said this is just completely dehumanizing (laughs) and so it's really vital that people laugh at their own performances and at everyone else's performances Uh because yeah if you took it too seriously you would be very very frustrated the entire time I Uh believe and so yes I think you're completely correct that by design they know not to take it too seriously even Uh the competitive people laugh at themselves yeah even when they're frustrated because i don't know you just you couldn't script the things that happen (laughs) on the show it's just amazing and some of it is completely down to luck as well Uh and you you just can't predict what's going to happen and you're watching a competition show the entire time so you're like rooting for your favorite person and uh-huh. you're watching them accrue points and so you're not just like there you know laughing because everything is funny like you're rooting for people uh-huh. as well over the course of the season and um there's also, for every episode, they end the episode with a live in-studio task where it's like a, a head-to-head competition of all five people at once doing the same task live. Okay. And so no matter what you think you can predict will happen in the pre-recorded tasks, you never know what will happen in the live tasks. Mm-hmm. And so the the way the points end up at the end of the season can be really surprising as well. Are they competing for an end goal? Like, is there a prize at the end, or is it just street cred? Good question. So, for each episode, there's a prize. Mm-hmm. The The first task I described, where everyone brings in an object to mm-hmm. meet a prompt, they're actually bringing in each a prize for the episode, and... Mm-hmm. The person who wins that episode wins those five objects. Oh, that's fun. So yeah, that's called the prize task, and that's the like incentive for that individual episode. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the prizes are total trash, like <laughs> just absolute garbage. So most of the time people are just trying to win to mm-hmm. win. But over the course of the season, so like the champion for that season, they just get like a trophy. Okay. That's like, that's the only thing. So most of it is just, just bragging rights. Yeah. So I think that that's one really great difference between like American game show type television, because it's like, who wants to be a millionaire? You're going to win a million dollars. Like, and it's just like normal people competing to like win a bunch of money because Mm -hmm. that's like how our society works. And like, (laughs) uh, it's like the essence of the american dream right is like come from like go from nothing to having something and i think that the american game show world capitalizes on that certainly one thing i've noticed watching british kind of reality shows or or game shows so 
I watch a lot of Great British Baking Show. That's like one of my favorite shows. They just win like a cake plate and a big bouquet of flowers at the end. And it like these people pour their hearts and souls into something that they love, not to win a bunch of money at the end, but just to win like fucking a cake plate. And like, yeah, Yeah. they have successful careers after because they went on the show, but a lot of them don't even want to like be a chef. They don't want to own their own bakery. Like a lot of these people are like someone's grandma and their grandchildren convince them to be on the show. And so I love that. It's very wholesome. I highly recommend Great British Bake Off if you haven't seen it. It's a joy. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not stressful. The two, they also have two co-hosts in addition to the the judges. And they're comedians. They're lovely. They really, like, change the whole vibe of the show, too. And help people, like, help take the tension off of people of, like, they're competing and they're competitive and... Then Noel will walk up and <laughs> do something totally goofy to like get them to calm down. So I love that. Yeah. Um, and even like Love Island is trash, but <laughs> even on Love Island, there there is like a monetary prize, but it's only like fifty thousand pounds, which is like it's a lot of money, but it's not that much money. It's not like what American game shows would offer for, like, the same kind of competition. I think that it says something about the competitive nature um, between our two countries, saying that, like, we're just here to do a fun thing because it's fun, and we don't have, like, monetary motivations behind it. And I think that makes for much better television. When you're not making people debase themselves to win a bunch of money... It makes me uncomfortable, and I think that that's why I don't tend to like a lot of American game show television, right? Like, right. people are just getting up and being embarrassed on TV to hope that they make money, to get the mm-hmm. chance of making that kind of money so that they can buy their mom a house or something. Like, that. there's something wrong about that to me, whereas I think that it's so wholesome to just watch people do something that they're truly enjoying just for the sake of truly enjoying it. Yeah, I could not agree more. Those were excellent points, and I think you're totally right. (laughs) And I love that the people on Taskmaster, they just want to win Taskmaster because (laughs) they want to feel smart and clever and like they want to beat their comedy friends because they all know each other Mm -hmm. there's not that many comedians (laughs) in the uk it's a small place they all know each other so Mm -hmm. it's all just like friends it's like friends at a pub quiz basically but they do like physical tasks Mm -hmm. mixed in so it's yeah it's that kind of energy yeah and i love you actually brought up i have a list of some of my favorite um, Taskmaster contestants of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, asterisk, I've only seen the first 10 seasons. I know they're like, uh, they're releasing season 14 actively right now, I think, mm-hmm. but only one through 10 are available on YouTube. So that's all I've seen. Um, but Noel Fielding is in my top five. He <laughs> is so good what season he is on i want to say season four okay i've got to watch season four at the very least you must at the very least um let me verify yes he is season four and um is there a person on british bake-off called mel 
Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She used to be a host. She was one of the original hosts. She's also in season four of cool. Taskmaster. Yeah, she was good too. Uh, he's yeah, he's in my top five faves <laughs> for sure. He his energy is his outfit. exquisite. Oh Does my he wear God. awesome outfits on that show too? Because um, it's funny you mentioned that because because the the majority of the tasks are pre-recorded from a set number of days you pick one designated outfit for uh. all of your tasks and then they wear different ones in studio but mm-hmm. his outfit for his pre-recorded tasks is one of the best ones i want his whole wardrobe and to only yeah. wear his wardrobe he's incredible <laughs> his approach to tasks is exquisite Mm -hmm. and i i could watch him every season he's just so good (laughs) um yeah so he's definitely in my top five Mm -hmm. contestants some other top five people phil wang also had just like one of the best taskmaster outfits in the history probably the most infamous taskmaster outfit in history (laughs) phil wang in series seven um god his demeanor is just it's i just love everything about that guy amazing loved him also in series seven james a caster he oh i love him yeah he's the reason it's so funny i watched series nine because i saw rose matafeo was in it Mm -hmm. and then i went to seven because i recognized james a caster's name and i was Mm -hmm. like i'll watch that one next that boy oh my god (laughs) His energy is all over the place. Uh, that you would love it. Me. Yeah. You would love it. I love he, his stand up. It's it's great. And he also, I believe, was a longtime Taskmaster fan prior to being on the show. Uh-huh. And so like he knows mm-hmm. the deal. And oh my god, you have to see him. You have to see him on the show. Yeah. Okay, so just to round out the top five contestants mm-hmm. thus far from the first 10 seasons phil wang james acaster noel fielding naturally rose matafeo mm-hmm. god i was so glad i started with her season because she is a competitor <laughs> she wants to win so bad she tries very hard she does amazing she's great to watch i love her energy I was so pleased she was, like, my entry point into the series. Mm -hmm. But my favorite contestant thus far was a complete surprise. I had no idea who they were prior, but just last week, I finally watched series eight, and Joe Thomas is in that series, Mm -hmm. and me and everyone in the comments agrees that he is phenomenal, and... (laughs) I can't even describe his essence. It's just something you have to see. But the combination (laughs) of his just deplorable social skills and (laughs) constant existential dread, but insanely good physical task performance, it's such a puzzling (laughs) combination it is intoxicating to watch. I cannot <laughs> recommend it I love more. <laughs> He's the most relatable contestant in Taskmaster history. He's so good. 
And then I have like four honorable mentions because I can't mm-hmm. stop loving people on this show. But also I have to mention Nish Kumar. He's the reason why I watched series five. God, what a delight. Mm-hmm. Tim Key in series <laughs> one, an agent of chaos at every turn. Love that. <laughs> um, Lisa Tarbuck, also an agent of chaos, but a cunning one. Incredible. <laughs> and then Frank Skinner in season one, mm. a just a classy gentleman. <laughs> love it. I love these people. So good. Those are my honorable mentions. Uh, so, yes. yes. So if you want to watch it the way I did, mm-hmm. you should watch it however you want. I highly recommend picking a season where you know a person. Mm-hmm. That was a really great way for me to jump in. I enjoyed that a lot. So when I went based on that approach, I watched series nine first. Excellent. Then series seven. Wow. So good. Probably maybe one of the best. Mm -hmm. Series seven might be the best one I've seen. Then I went to series five. Immaculate, wholesome vibes in series (laughs) five. Loved that. And then I just went back and started from the beginning. Okay. Um, so, yeah. You can start anywhere, and you'll probably absolutely love it. But that's how I did it. Ah, uh, that sounds so good. Yeah. And and it's like, I love puzzly type things. And so, just vicariously watching other people solve puzzles is really pleasing. So, for me, like, once I start an episode... I don't want to stop because I want to see what the next puzzle is going to (laughs) be. And I want to see what my five friends are going to do. And so (laughs) this is why I watched all ten seasons in like six weeks because it's, I just cannot stop watching it. Granted, some of the seasons are only like five episodes long. Mm -hmm. There's a, a variety of lengths, but I think they've settled on a consistent format now in the later seasons where there's 10 episodes a season but you can like breeze right through them god it is just it's a balm for the mind (laughs) yeah so those are all the things i love about it and i would have to say overall like the show would not be what it is and it would not be nearly as satisfying if not for alex horn the Mm -hmm taskmaster's assistant like not just because he actually is the one that is conceiving of all the tasks and everything but the persona that he takes on and the way he interacts with the contestants while they're doing the tasks as they're like you know kind of Mm -hmm. the judge and overseer the persona that he has throughout the entire show is such good, dry comedy. Mm -hmm. It is wonderful. It's chef's kiss comedy. (laughs) I love what Alex Horn does on that show. I could watch him do anything. He's so good. (laughs) So yeah, I, it's like, I love that Alex is there every season and he's Uh like the, the through line and you get to see him interact with all these different, absolutely batshit insane people (laughs) so yeah i love i mean i'll show up to watch alex horn do anything he's (laughs) wonderful 
what yeah. a job he's done. I wonder where the rest of the seasons are streaming. Um, I know you can purchase them on YouTube. Uh, I don't know about streaming. Because as far as I know, I don't know if this was available in the U.S. before Alex put it up on YouTube. I will probably end up paying for the next four seasons just because I cannot stop now. But I do honestly highly recommend watching them on YouTube and then scrolling down to the comments at the end because Mm -hmm. it's so gratifying when you see people saying exactly what you were thinking. (laughs) It's wonderful. Wow. I never would have even thought to look into this. I've definitely heard mention of Taskmaster, Mm -hmm. but I just haven't ever had any desire to get more information on this, and Mm -hmm. I've been missing out. I'm so excited. Yeah. You could start on Series 4 with Noel if you Mm -hmm. wanted to. That would be a great place to start. Yeah, I think that'd be good. His performance in this one task that I think is simply called Hide from Alex, (laughs) or it's like Camouflage Yourself. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite tasks of all time. I'm so excited. <laughs> he's a he's a rock star. He's yeah. so good. What a gem. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my like hour long pitch on why everyone should watch <laughs> Taskmaster and just like feel good inside. Well, I don't know how I'm gonna follow that up because <laughs> I'm talking about spooky shit. So um I think that we'll have some interesting overlaps, but It's definitely getting followed up by a very dark game. Um, We'll have to work for that overlap this time. So I am talking about the video game Until Dawn, which was released in 2015, and it was developed by Supermassive Games. They've released some similar games in years since. They're kind of similar formats where they're a little more cinematic in terms of the gameplay. So you're making quick decisions but it's more of like a choose your own adventure type game which is so fun so it's more interactive horror film as opposed to a true blue video game wow so this game specifically focuses on the concept of the butterfly effect which is the concept that if you make one small decision or if that decision were to change, then a whole ripple effect would happen and the whole outcome would change. So the really cool thing about this game is you have a lot of different decision points and that affects who lives and who dies, what kind of relationships characters have with each other, Um, so like if you piss someone off, then they're not going to let you into the house if something's chasing you and you could die because of that, your course of events will obviously change. And so it's a really complex, um, game just in that sense, just because the developers had to write out multiple different series of events to make the game viable. Ultimately... The endings are relatively similar. It just changes the... It changes who lives and who dies at the end, and it changes, like, their interpersonal relationships throughout, which I find very satisfying. I think that the interpersonal aspects and, like, the conversations that are had and the differences between those conversations, if you react differently, is very interesting to me. Um... So does this make it 
kind of one of those games that it's more fun to play multiple times rather than one single run through. Yeah, definitely. It's a fairly short game. I think Scott and I played through it in about two days, like with breaks, obviously, but... But still, um, that's fast. Yeah, it was probably like an eight-hour gameplay, which makes playing through it multiple times viable. Yeah. So I played through it with Scott. Then I watched a Let's Play to like refresh my memory. I wanted to see how that person's choices played out. So I actually watched a Let's Play by Markiplier, which mm-hmm. is like a classic Let's Player. I know who that is, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy Markiplier's like playthroughs of old, older horror games. So I watched that in preparation for today's episode. I'm going to try not to give away too much about the plot because I think it is such a well-done plot. So I am going to give away a little bit but not much more than you'll get on like the synopsis. So the story opens in a tutorial prologue to show you how the decision trees are going to get made, how you're going to be making decisions, and what quick time events are. Um, And if you're not familiar with quick time events, it's basically an opportunity that the game gives you to press a button, which will lead to you not tripping over a stick or you jumping over something. So if you trip on that stick and the monster gets you, it's very important to the gameplay. So Mm -hmm. you basically open into the story a year prior to the plot that you'll be playing. There's this group of high schoolers staying at their parents' lodge for the weekend, and it's winter, it's snowing, and it's set up in uh, the Canadian mountains. And these this group of high schoolers, they play a prank on one of the girls, and she runs out of the house. She gets very upset. She like feels very embarrassed and she runs out of the house into this snowstorm and her twin sister runs out after her and finds her. And eventually the the prologue, there's no way to change what happens in the prologue. So this is a little bit of a spoiler, but in the prologue, they both fall off of a cliff and die. Obviously it's a very traumatic event for this entire group of friends because their two friends go missing and they never get found. So those two girls have a brother who had been there that night. And when the actual game starts, he says like, can we all get back together? Like it's been a year. I really want everyone to come up to the lodge again and let's just honor their memory and Everyone comes because they're trying to support him through what has been a really awful, horrible time. And they all get up to the cabin. It's a couple of couples. And then the girls that died, their best friend is there. And she's just single. She's just doing her thing. She's super cool. Definitely, it's set up to make you think that, like, she's the final girl aesthetic. Like, she's this, Mm. like, super cool, independent person that's, like, smart and always thinking. And then there's also Josh, who is the brother that asked them all to come up. And um, they basically get to the lodge and people start separating their teenagers. They're going off into other parts of the house to make out and stuff. And you start to realize that they're being watched by somebody. And they start finding these wanted signs of a person that has been reported to be seen on the mountain and 
So they start getting a little freaked out. And then people start disappearing. People get separated from the group and don't come back. And it becomes very clear that they're not alone on this mountain and some kind of external threat is present. It's really cool because it's a lot of like classic horror tropes of like dumb high schoolers making stupid choices and trying to survive this like slasher type scenario. Uh-huh. But I think that it's a lot more fun because you're making the choices. And I think that it adds this like whole new element of engagement, I guess, with the story. And so throughout the plot, basically, you find out that they are not going to be able to get help because there is a snowstorm that isn't going to clear up until dawn. And so they have to survive the night until dawn before they can get like airlifted out. Classic scenario. Yeah. So they don't hunker down because <laughs> oh, no. they're stupid. The lodge is super big. It's like a mansion-y type lodge. More of like a lodge that like you would go stay in as a hotel, but it's been sure. converted into a private residence. Wow. There's also other things associated with this lodge. There is a old hotel and an old sanatorium, mm. sanitarium that used to be associated with the the lodge but is no longer up and running and then there's an old mine that is not up and running either it's an abandoned mine but that is also important because that's where they think the scary person is like hiding out and it's like their home base and stuff like that so yeah it's And I also can't talk about what I really like about the game without giving away a larger spoiler. But eventually in the game, you find out that there is a human threat. There's a human antagonist, but there's also a supernatural antagonist. And I was very wary of the supernatural antagonist initially. I hesitated to decide if I liked it initially just because it is a piece of Native American lore. And that is a really common horror trope that white people culturally appropriate all the time and fuck up all the time. Right. But they did a good job actually. And um, it's hard to find whether or not they actually consulted with Native American consultants on this project, or if they just did a really good job actually like reading the accounts of people's experiences with this creature. But from what I can find online, individuals that are part of different Native American tribes that all have descriptions of this, and it has been shifted throughout the years and a lot of people online say like this is accurate to like what we think that this creature looks like one thing that i didn't love that the game did was they said the creature's name a lot and native american tribes believe that saying the creature's name gives it power and draws it to you so Mm -hmm. that's why i'm referring to it as the creature if -hmm. you want to know what it is and you want to learn more about the lore i'm not going to get into that but Um, it's very interesting lore, but these are creatures that people believe exist. And so I'm giving them the respect that I think that they deserve and I won't be saying the name, but yeah, so I thought that they did a good job with it. And from what I can tell other people online that are way more qualified to make that assessment, think that they did a good job with it. So I think that that's great. 
um, yeah. and kind of breaks. It uses a classic trope in a way that is accurate and not just cultural appropriation. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Had you heard of this creature prior to the game? I have just recently heard about this creature, actually. So there's an episode of Two Girls, One Ghost that uh. talks about it. They, it's their episode called Reddit Deep Dives, where they basically went on Reddit and found people's stories and experiences and then researched those types of concepts. And um, I thought that they did a really good job respecting and like explaining that concept of wanting to respect not saying the name. They actually used uh, a replacement name, but Mm -hmm. I don't know enough about like what a respectful replacement name would be. So I'm just not going to say it. But that is a very interesting episode of Two Girls, One Ghost. I was just curious how like well known it was. But it sounds relatively obscure. It is. There there are definitely pop culture references to this creature, but not necessarily it's it's not necessarily called what you think it would be called. So specifically, The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones, the book that you read in my dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that is a less traditional depiction of uh, this creature, okay. but that's like one of the pop culture references to it. And then also, apparently, the book form of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery takes some of this lore as well which is really interesting it's a really interesting piece of native american lore the original story is that this person got stranded with his family in a snowstorm and had to resort to cannibalism which let this evil spirit inside of him and he became this otherworldly type creature this supernatural creature Um, So that's kind of what this Hmm. game plays with is like, what do you become when you lose everything? And what do you become when you are forced to resort to crazy things that you would never think that you would resort to? So it was a really cool game. I thought that they did a good job with something that I didn't think that they would do a good job with and made me a little bit nervous. Um initially but i they did a good job with it so that's really all you can ask the camera angles used are really cool because it is shot more like a movie even it's not like an over the shoulder point of view type it's not like a third person or first person it's like different camera angles and you see characters walking in which was really cool so are you playing a singular character Or you're just observing? That's a great question. You play as all of the different characters. You play as every single character at different points in time, which I think is really cool and very different. Um, I don't think I've ever played a game like that. That's not to say that they don't exist out there, but I've never played a game like that. And I thought that it was very cool to see how choices you make with one character affect the options of choices that you get to make with another character or you're like tracking your relationship um meters with everybody and seeing like oh those that person really pissed me off so i don't like (laughs) them right now and i think that it's just really cool pretty much all of your choices have consequences in some way shape or form another thing that i thought was cool 
that was kind of taken from Native American lore was that throughout the game you find totems and the totems give you a vision of some kind of danger and how to deal with it. So if you are going through the story in a completionist fashion and you're finding all of these totems, you can get the clues you need to make the correct decisions to save everybody. And the clues are ambiguous enough that like looking back, you might be like, ah, that's what that was trying to tell me, but I still ended up killing this person because I messed it up. Hmm. But I think that it's a really cool addition to the the puzzle. Hmm. Um, The episode that I was referencing from Two Girls, One Ghost was episode 178, Reddit Deep Dives. And on that episode, Corinne talks about this uh creature as well so yeah i think that playing a horror game just gets you real scared in a way that a horror movie just can't because Mm -hmm. you are actively engaged in the plot and it's just so effective it was funny because i was sitting next to scott while he played the game uh when we were together and i was holding a a slim can of beer (laughs) And uh-huh. every time I would get scared, I would like crunch the can and like spill beer on myself. You could always tell when I was getting scared because the can was just like crunching. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was it was good scares. It was a really interesting game. They actually just released a game in 2022, so pretty recently, a couple months ago, called The Quarry. And that is a game that's set up similarly, another group of people that are being turned into werewolves, I believe. Mm. And that I'm very intrigued, especially after playing this game. I definitely want to play The Quarry. And this game was on sale on PS4 recently. It was only like 10 bucks from its normal 40 so. Oh, wow. Uh, If you're listening to this episode shortly after it comes out, that deal might still be relevant and you should definitely go pick this game up and play it or watch a Let's Play. The Markiplier one is great. There are more as well available, but yeah, it's such a good game. So, And you said there is some combination of choices you can make where everyone survives at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We did not succeed in that Mm -hmm. because we didn't find all of the totems. I don't think we understood that we were supposed to be looking for them. So we like missed all of the second ones that you were supposed to find. We did not succeed. We only ended up saving three out of the eight, I believe. And they also have a lot of like behind the scenes content of how they used playtesters to, like, test the scaring capabilities of the game. So Uh they had them wear skin conductance monitors and, like, scientifically measured their uh, responses to the scares. So that was really cool. I was like, oh, wow, that's that's really smart. And it was really cool to like watch them use that to change things about the game before its release and stuff. So that's really fun. Yeah, it was it was really good. That's great. So yeah, spooky, spooky games and non spooky games. Mm hmm. You want to do our friend diagram, Venn diagram? Yeah, I think so. I think I'm ready. Did you think of anything while I was talking? Um, loosely, but you Go first with yours. Yeah. So I I only had loose comparisons as well okay. um, initially, but I thought that you talking about Taskmaster being like a really interesting way to observe human behavior 
was uh, something that stuck out to me because this game is all about choices that you make or choices that you think you should make that really aren't the right choice and the game kind of plays with what you think the right choice should be. And I thought that that was interesting to think about. So that was one that I had. There's more, but I can't really get into my second thought without giving away a really big... Well, I guess so. I guess I can without giving away the full spoiler. But you do find out that um, in this game, the human threat is curating this experience. It's more of like a saw type experience where um, they are kind of rats in a maze, basically, that has Mm -hmm. been set up for them. And that's kind of the human threat aspect of things. And Uh obviously in Taskmaster, there are these puzzles and games that are being set up for contestants, obviously, in a less nefarious and scary way. (laughs) Sure. Um, But that's a definite parallel. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't want to give away, like, the a little bit more about the threat, you know, so. Yeah. I'm no. glad I could still say that one. Absolutely, yeah. The fact that there's someone pulling the strings. Yes. That is absolutely yeah. a parallel. Something I was thinking about, um, this is also just a loose comparison, but you talked about how decisions you make in the game impact the interpersonal dynamics between people and that impacts the outcome of the game. Mm-hmm. And in a loose way, I, that's kind of similar to one of my favorite things about Taskmaster in that the inter um, the interpersonal chemistry between each of the contestants is what really can make or break a season Mm -hmm. being really good because you're watching everyone react to everyone's performance all together and you're Mm -hmm. watching them compete in real time and you're watching them do team tasks and the chemistry is what really makes it and what Mm -hmm. is the funniest part or the most suspenseful part or the most pleasing part is how all of these different personalities are playing off of each other Mm -hmm. and so that interpersonal chemistry impacting the user experience uh, I think is a a big commonality between the two. Oh yeah definitely and the game wasn't for a prize the prize is life so (laughs) the prize prize is life Getting to live after you finish the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, no monetary rewards. No monetary rewards. Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com, and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice, and we'll see you back here, same place, next week. Bye for now.